This is all about audience, dissecting how creatives in the digital media world cater to the audience they are producing content for. I'm your host, Fred Vigen. In today's episode, I'll introduce you to an absolutely talented individual, Shelley Kemmerer, creates content on a variety of platforms in an effort to build community around parental mental health. We'll hear how she got started, the feeling of responsibility as you gain more and more followers to your content, and how it's important to evolve what you're doing. Shelley will also talk about how going viral isn't all it's cracked up to be. So let's find out how she got started. I'll start by saying, you know, if we look back at Facebook, so Facebook was started, what, around, I think, 2004. And then we had Twitter, which was two years later, Instagram launching around 2010. And then you had, you know, Snapchat, Discord, and now TikTok. What we're seeing is, you know, for different platforms, they obviously have something that they've either pivoted from something else, or they're utilizing you know, for TikTok, they're utilizing like shorter videos. Maybe you're doing a trend, although they're starting to pivot from that now too, and wanting original content, but everything kind of has its own personality. And so for me, where I started my platform, I started on Instagram and I have, to be honest, a love-hate relationship with Instagram. I think a lot of us can relate to that right now because it is definitely changing. It has changed drastically, I would say, within the past six months and what they're focusing on, how they are now doing shorter videos, pushing reels much more and looking a lot more like TikTok. It's like the TikTok delay of trends two to three weeks ago are now showing up on reels on Instagram, including the songs, sound bites, and so forth. And so where do I think it's going from here? I think original content is the direction. You know, there's only so much that you can see of like the same trend over and over and over and over again. It becomes so redundant. And so when we're, you know, listening to songs and we're seeing content creators saying, use this trend, this trending sound right now, and you'll, you know, see 10,000 followers, you know, come out and follow you or whatever. That's not necessarily the case. (laughs) We're seeing a lot of people that are picking up on trends and maybe doing the lip syncing, or if you wanted to do dances or whatever the case may be, maybe you're not even doing it for that reason. You're just selecting the song. And then that song can be the background of a tutorial or cooking or whatever, but it kind of puts you into this like group of individuals or whoever is using that music. And it kind of clusters you together and says, all right, now we are all tied to this song, right? So your video is tied to this song. What are the first few seconds of your video looking like? What's the hook? So that first three seconds of your video, you need a hook. We hear a lot about, you need a hook, you need a call to action. You need your audience to do something. You're giving somebody something to do. And so TikTok became very, very popular for that. You would, you know, scroll and you go through things really quickly, but what captures your, you know, your attention within those first couple of seconds, are you going to stay there or are you not now it, it, comes with an impact, right? Because we think of our attention spans and they are shrinking because of all of this. And there are studies that are now coming out saying 
this is the impact on ADHD. This is the impact on our attention span. And so I have been thinking a lot more about that and being more cognizant of that as I create content now and in the direction that I'm going in, in the future. I agree on the whole Instagram love hate relationship. I, I, it used to be all static images or, you know, a couple of videos, mm-hmm. but they were videos that were people I was following, but now it's, yeah, they're force feeding you into, you might like this. You might like this. I, I, yes. I recall uh, it, at some point, a video of someone on a roller coaster was, you know, was something served to me and I, I ended up watching it. Now all I have are roller coaster videos. I'm not a mm-hmm. major roller coaster enthusiast, but apparently yeah. Instagram thinks I am. So yes. Yeah. So. It, that, that in and of itself is interesting, right? Because it's almost, it, it's starting to predict things, right? It's starting to predict like what your likes must be or looking into the psychology of a platform. And let's say you were searching, I don't know, you were looking for like a certain type of top or shoes or whatever the case may be. And then in your feed, you'll see little things trickle in and out. And maybe you'll see something that's associated with that type of shoe or that type of shirt Mm -hmm. that other people may have looked at. And so it's, it's interesting because that originally, when you think about Instagram, that whole like static post, the visual and where it is now, which is more of like, you know, storefront content creator videos, things like that it's shifted dramatically. And now, you know, where is, where is it going to go in the future? I'm not entirely sure. I can tell you that Instagram reels are very glitchy right now. Editing Mm -hmm. has been very difficult. So there are a lot of, you know, there's different apps that you can use outside of Instagram to then edit your reels and then put them in. But when you do that, I mean, do you lose any of the, the sound quality? it's, it's tricky. I think it's, it's pivoting so quickly that maybe Instagram's not able to keep up with all of the, the adjustments. I don't know. I don't work for them. I'm not entirely sure. I just know from hearing from other content creators and doing it myself that there's a lot of hurdles when things start to pivot a little bit too quickly. Right. It's it's adding friction to the user experience really. Yeah. And what do you see the same level of engagement with a video versus a static post? No. And I also think that depends on what the platform originally was sharing and what they saw the most, you know, kind of feedback from. I can say I've done case studies only because I have a clinical background and case studies are I guess the easiest for me to understand the psychology behind why a platform might stick with static posts versus doing reels. And I will tell you the ones that have over a million followers, let's say that they were big on static posts. They would have a grid with a quote. That quote would be something very provocative and it starts a conversation. So then you go into the comments and you see people having a conversation, maybe it starts to get, to get contentious. So then maybe you'll have like, you know, one person agreeing, another person disagreeing, and then the person who originally disagreed responds to the other person. So it's like a bunch of little wildfires everywhere, but that stokes engagement. And so now a lot of people are engaging with that content. And let's say that account who has 1 million followers or more then throws a reel in there 
and they'll act out the scenario. Okay. Now you're getting with reels and what I found through insights when you start looking at a lot of the metrics is that you'll get a lot of non-followers seeing your reels depending on the sounds that you use. Let's say if you use trending sound turned all the way down or something like that, you'll you'll get a mix of people. Now, will that do the same? Potentially, but for the most part, if your your goal with like the static grid post is you post something that's very provocative or controversial, that can still drive a lot of engagement. But I think where specifically, if I'm talking about Instagram, where it is now is they're more focused on reels and still trends, but I think they're starting to introduce the idea of having more original content being prioritized. Hmm. Okay. And and what since you brought up comments, we'll jump to that for a second. How much do you pay attention to comments? You know, I mean, like, are you are you reviewing them? Are you are you responding to anything, or is it just because you know? I mean, there are. I mean, there's constructive stuff, and then there's also mm-hmm. junk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. So it kind of depends. I think originally when I started the platform, it was very much focused on new and expectant parents and how to prepare them for their journey into parenthood. It then pivoted with the pandemic. And so I started focusing more on parental burnout. Now, depending on the topic and what we're discussing, it can get a little dicey, but I think from the beginning, I was very clear about what I would allow on the platform and not necessarily what would be blocked There have been times where people have gotten blocked because of things that they've said, but more of providing an opportunity to have constructive discussions that aren't negative. Because I think depending on the platform, if that's what you're going for and that drives engagement, go for it. That's, you know, that's going to be your responsibility to bear. And I think it's mentally hard on people when they have a platform and that's what it turns into is just constant back and forth, back and forth, because at the end of the day, there is some human behind the platform. Right. And (laughs) I think what, what some people don't understand is a lot of these big, bigger platforms, they have a team behind them. They either have a team creating the graphics, creating the content copy, doing the engagement, I do have a small team that I work with and we're pretty deliberate about the way that we engage with other people. And I certainly still do engagement myself and and talking with some people, but I do focus more on how to create that community and how to keep the community vibe, not contentious, not argumentative. And if people do want to provide feedback on something, we want to keep it constructive because it just, it's, it's not good. It drives engagement. Yes. But that is not my intention. Right. Right. You're not looking for clickbait, right? I mean, you're looking to to have a a, a conversation. So how did you thinking of all the stuff on Instagram, you know, on, on really every platform, like how did you, how did you create your community? How did you get to where you are today? So, you know, when I started, as I mentioned, with focusing more on the expectant, new and expectant parents, Mm -hmm. I started with storytelling from other people. And, you know, that could have been like a short story narrative, something that kind of represented their experience in parenthood. And what I wanted to create 
is a collaborative community that can either relate to whatever story was being told or find a resource that is connected to a story. Find a resource that's connected to maybe, you know, a, a particular day on the calendar that is focused on mental health of parents, maternal mental health and so forth. And so that's kind of where it started. And I started building that up. And I just noticed that there was a huge need starting in 2020, going into 2021, that I needed to focus more of my energy specifically on the parental mental health part and gathering resources for parents that they might not otherwise know exist. And so I started taking in that direction. And what that created was more of a professional environment where I got connected and started doing interviews with different professionals, different mental health specialists, doctor, author, I mean, advocates, like all, all sorts of people. And so that's, that's the direction that it took. And, um, you know, I am grateful because I am able to do these collaborations and I can work with, you know, amazing individuals that either do similar work or maybe a branch of that. And that's, that is why Instagram right now, that's kind of what I hold on to. That's the love portion of the love hate relationship <laughs> is that those connections are so important because in the future, let's say you have an event or you're doing an interview, you can always reference that content and reference, you know, different insights from, from other experts. And so that's, that's kind of the direction it took. And now in the future, we're working on a rebrand right now mm-hmm. and, it's a lot of work to do rebranding because it's, you know, it's the, the visual components and researching content. I love, you know, the research aspect and, and looking at the latest articles, data, anything that's related to the parental health and well-being realm and, and bringing that to the platform because not everybody sees this stuff. This is like the first step before you get to Google ends up being Instagram. <laughs> So for many people, um, mm-hmm. and so I, I take, I don't take that lightly. I think there's a responsibility with having a platform mm-hmm. and maybe for some it's just doing trends and that makes them happy. That's great. But I, I know there's a responsibility with it. So when did you, where did you get to where you hit a point where you, you felt that responsibility? I mean, was that there day one or is like, oh, wow. I mean, what I'm posting is resonating. I'm, you know, like all of a sudden you, you're seeing your, your followers skyrocket, right? You know, yeah. like where, where, where did that happen? You know, it's interesting. I never intended on being a content creator whatsoever. In fact, I used to have a personal platform and I deleted it because I wanted to be off of social media. (laughs) And that like, even now I think, you know, is the drive to post every single day, is that sustainable? And does that also result in, in burnout? And it can, you know, it can for like professionals. Right. And so I think I got to a point where I was like hovering around, I don't know, 10,000 followers. And I will say side note, Follower number does not matter. I think it drives a lot of interest for people, but it really, I had to come to terms with it does not matter. I got around 10,000 and I was like, this is strange. You know, it feels weird because I would have, you know, you get bots, you get all kinds of stuff. You try to work with, you know, different teams to understand 
like how much should I be posting? What type of stuff should I be posting? Should I be doing something exactly the same, but I'm evolving as a person. So I want to do different things. Like what, what should I be doing? So that responsibility was also, it was odd because I am a trained healthcare professional and originally I put a lot of like science driven content on there. And that was kind of the direction that I wanted to keep going is like, keep putting science out there, keep putting all this information. I'm like, maybe it's boring to people. Maybe people want more relatable stuff. And I started going in that direction. And now I'm pivoting again to, you know, I'm a bit of a dork and I know you guys like this stuff too. So why not do it? Because it makes things more accessible. And the minute I knew that I provided some sort of support to maybe, you know, could be a struggling mother that thought that her story wasn't being represented on social media, a single parent, a single dad, divorced parents, parents who are going through surrogacy in different countries. Like it, it did feel a little bit strange to me because to me, it's not this feeling of, oh, I'm famous. Cause that's cringy to me. The feeling was more like, I need to be very aware of what I deliver content wise and how much I'm looking up and, and the data that I provide because people bookmark this stuff and they refer to it. And that's, you know, that's important. I think people shouldn't take that lightly. Yeah. You're being attributed to. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Which was kind of like, hmm, that's a little, this feels different. When they say and, experts say they were talking about you. Yeah. But even, <laughs> even so somebody corrected me at one point and we were doing an interview and they're like, Oh, she's a parental burnout expert. I was like, Oh, I don't like that word. And they said, hold on a second. They paused and they're like, wait a minute, take it in. <laughs> so even still, I'm still, I'm constantly learning. It's hard to call myself or refer to myself as that at all. But I think as long as I can help some families out there maybe understand where they can obtain some of these resources that they didn't know about. That's awesome. And I'm happy to do that. So what no, are there numbers specifically that you do pay attention to and, you know, not followers, but you know, like when it comes to video, you were talking about how the first three seconds are key. I mean, you're looking at how long someone watches a, a video or, or at least likes a post, like what, 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 what metric, does speak to you. So what I generally do, I look at my insights on that platform specifically, and you know, you get a sense of everything. You get a sense of age demographic, the countries where, you know, followers are your audiences, top cities. Are they watching more reels? Are they looking at more posts? How many people are in your story? Stuff like that. And over time, things go up and down, right? And that goes for everybody. I think everybody unanimously is talking about this on specifically on this platform where things are so, they're so volatile right now. They're just so unpredictable because we don't know where the goalpost is shifting. Is it going more towards, as I mentioned before, like original content, not using the same trending songs? Is it going to more specifically content creators who are putting out content about how to make reels, how to make these compelling things? And of course, people are going to watch that, right? Because you're on a platform that is focused on right now, pushing a lot of the videos out, just like 
you know, with, with TikTok, we have all these videos that come out and they basically blast it out to everybody and say, who's this work for? So when that happens with reels, I start thinking, well, I'll look at the insights and see what people are interested in. And I know, I know how to make viral content. Do I make viral content? Absolutely not. Do I want to? Absolutely not. Because with viral content comes a lot of pain, comes a lot of negativity, comments, bullying, stuff like that. And that's something that I just don't want to get involved in. But there's a formula for it. And the formulas are really simple to find. And you can find them on Instagram. You can find them on TikTok. But it's like, is that is that the intention? And so for me, when I look at the insights, I just see like, where what are people most interested in right now? And am I focusing on the right demographic? And right now we're just in a very experimental phase and, and reposting a lot of our collaborations to kind of celebrate the turning into a new direction. And so for me, that's, I almost don't even want to look at it because it doesn't matter. I'm like I've already done these before and I'm reusing content, but yeah, you look at insights and it gives you kind of, it, it gives you everything. It tells you, you know, how you've done the past seven days, how you've done in the past 30 days, a percentage of ups and downs and, and things like that. So good place to focus. It's interesting what you mentioned about being viral, getting, and that, how that, um, that bring brings with it a little more negativity. Is that, do you think it's because it's casting your content with a wider net? So you're getting people who this wouldn't necessarily be relevant to them, but it's somehow, whether it's the, the, the algorithm, however, it's getting served to them or, or a friend liked it. So it showed up in their, you know, in their feed, and then they look at it and they're like, oh, this person doesn't know what they're talking about. And then they write whatever, which they should have taken a breath and not written. But yeah. do, you, yeah. do you think do you think that's that's the case? Yeah, I think there's a lot of it's there's a lot of nuance to it. Right. So we think about let's let's think about like an example that it can pull from, you know, just seeing it online. So recently there was a video on TikTok and it's got oh, gosh millions and millions and millions of views, millions of likes. And what the video was, was there's two characters. Well, there's one person who plays multiple characters. Mm -hmm. He's very good at playing these multiple characters. I think he's an actor and I think a producer, maybe a director. And he was playing a provider and his, the same person was also playing a nurse and playing a patient and playing a patient's mom. And at the same time, a TikTok was being recorded. And what was happening during that moment is cr he created this kind of environment, which was, a, you know, a patient's waiting, they have some kind of a GI illness or something, they're, you know, getting sick. And the mom's like, I need somebody to see my son. And the nurse chimes in and says, wait, the doctor is creating a TikTok to spread emotional awareness on how difficult this job is. Somebody just died. And the music came on, the trending music came on, the ticking timer came on of the TikTok sound, which if you've ever made a video on TikTok, you just know that sound as soon as it starts. It's like, ding, 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 ding. And now the doctor is facing the wall 
And he turns around. It's like this big melodramatic thing. And the nurse is looking and is like, this is so beautiful watching the doctor. Now here's the mom and the child standing, waiting, like what is going on? And then the doctor says, cut and looks at the mother and child and is like, what can I help you with? That went bananas Hmm. online. It went totally viral. And the reason being is it was based on another video of someone else who was recording in a hospital hallway after I believe, and I don't know the details of it, but I think a patient passed away and they're recording in the hospital. And what that TikTok provider person who was playing the provider did is they created this persona of like, look what has gone viral now on social media. What are we doing? And it started a huge conversation in the comments between, you know, verified accounts, non-verified accounts, people liking, I mean, it, it, it was a true case study. And so when I looked at that, I thought one, it's controversial, which is one of the things that helps, you know, videos go viral Two, it sparked a massive conversation because of the controversy. And then it got very defensive. It defended the original creator. And then people started defending the creator of this video in response to the original creator. So when I think about viral content and I think about the energy involved in how people respond to it, it really depends on what it's bringing in. Is it bringing in laughter? Is it bringing in animosity? Is it bringing in, you know, anger from people? You know, there's, there's so many nuances to it. Does it connect us as human beings? You know, there's some that go viral that are wonderful. That's, you know, a platform creator that gets money from all of these donations from his followers. He, he fundraises through his followers and goes and builds homes for people who are homeless. So these things, it's like, there's, you know, there's many sides to it and, and what creates this kind of viral nature. And so when I said like, I know the formula because I've studied it. I'm very careful not to go that route because I just think the, the impact is so great and it can really impact someone's mental well-being if they're not, if they're not aware of it beforehand. And so we just have to kind of understand like what, what exactly are we posting? Why are we posting it? Mm-hmm. And like, what is, what's our ask here? Are we asking here? for people to respond? Are we asking to start an argument? Are we asking to fundraise for a family? Like what, what's the target here? Mm-hmm. And what is, what is your overall goal and what everything you're doing? What, what are you well, trying to do? I just, for me, I want to build this community. That's not only one that's supportive and collaborative, but I want to have the professionals and the individuals who are seeking professionals kind of all in one place. And I want it to feel more humanized instead of robotic. I don't want to post all of the same content that I feel like I see a lot. And I've done that before where, you know, I'm kind of encouraged to post certain things that maybe are more on brand or more, you know, in the direction of what's being seen to see, you know, if, if that sparks somebody's interest. But for me, I just, I want to create an environment where parents can get the resources that they need from either an expert or some sort of an advocate or something. 
And then further than that, like go and maybe seek out if they need mental health support or join a group, do something like I want that to kind of be the catalyst to, you know, get the, the other additional resources one might need. This is a little more granular. Granular. What uh, do you do anything for accessibility? You know, whether it's you know individuals with special needs, you know, how, like to you know make sure that your content and on whatever platform it is on, if, if there's anything sp- special, maybe above and beyond that you do to make sure people can consume it. Well, I think now there's actually systems built in place on Instagram, such as like closed captioning, alt text. Okay. I know, you know. Both of those are utilized on Instagram now. Before, you would have to input on each image for alt test text. You would have to describe the image and then, you know, the words on the image and everything. Pinterest is the same. You can select to add alt text for things, adding closed captioning, stuff like that. So I think for both of those things, they exist now on, I think, every platform. In fact, you can have it set up that your videos auto-populate closed captioning that's newer on some platforms that it's automatic. Mm -hmm. I will say though, that automatic closed captioning is not great if you can't edit it because there's a lot of errors and with certain glitchy platforms, it does make it difficult to then edit and then you can't save it or you edit it and then save and then it shows up a different way. (laughs) And so it's, I think people are trying. And so sometimes that just means you have to use an app and you have to add the closed captioning outside but then if you're talking and you upload it to the to the actual platform your vocals may or may not line up with your mouth moving Mm. so you can only try your best and i try to do that you know making sure that with graphics that the alt text is automatically you know uploaded on that and it looks as close as possible (laughs) right and then closed captioning too, I also try to edit. I think, I know on TikTok, it's much easier to edit the closed captioning. Instagram, not so easy. Mm. That's one of those that I think you almost have to utilize some kind of other external app to upload it, so. So you're, you're on Pinterest, Instagram, and TikTok. Are those, are, are those your three like primary? I know you also have a website, but are those your three yeah. primary? platforms? Yeah. And I do use LinkedIn, although I haven't been using it much. That is one that we're going to be focusing more on LinkedIn, a lot more on Pinterest. Obviously they all have different utility and they all have different usefulness. I think Instagram is kind of like your business card or your portfolio. You create a visual library of what your platform represents and TikTok. You just kind of, you can pop up from anywhere unless you're just looking at the, the followers that you're following and you'll see just a few in the feed, but they kind of shoot it out to everybody and say like, does this grab your attention? Does it not? LinkedIn is more of the professional community. And so, you know, captions for everything are different. Pinterest is not utilized like a social media platform. It's used more for like SEO. So search engine optimization, like what keywords are you using? What do your pins look like? Are you making idea pins, which are like reels? You know, you can make something that's a couple seconds long, but you have to have some sort of a hook Mm. or, you know, tips or feedback or something that 
you know, when somebody's typing in these keywords and looking for you, what would they be looking up? So yeah, those are mostly what I use, but I will be focusing more of my energy on the LinkedIn aspect in the future too. And you mentioned how each platform has its own distinct personality. How much is just focusing on content for that platform? Do you ever do any cross promotion? Hey, by the way, I have a Pinterest channel. You should check this out. Or is it just you're on Instagram? Let's just stay on Instagram. Yeah, I think you should always cross promote as much as you can. And it just depends on what people are looking for. So for instance, if I'm offering like a workshop or something, I'm not necessarily going to put that directly in my video on a TikTok, but I might put it in my, you know, in the profile link to my stand store or something like that. If I'm going to do something on Pinterest, then absolutely I will market there and it'll be marketed in a way that somebody can look at it and say, are there tips associated with it? Like Mm -hmm. when is the sign up? So it's much more of a you know, a banner or a poster or something like that, something that's going to draw somebody in that's more in infographic kind of thing or like visual. Instagram, you can share that on stories. You can share a link on your stories. Now I will say what people do notice is if you put a link on your stories, stories might dip a little bit, but there's creative ways to put links on your stories that maybe you could put a visual on top of the link, whatever it is to kind of keep the attention of your audience on stories. Sometimes they say, if you take 24 hours off, then, you know, people will check it out the next day. There's all sorts of theories on it, but yeah, you got to cross pollinate. And I think right now people are still kind of doing it on Instagram, but I think one of the best places, probably if it's professional, you do it on LinkedIn, Pinterest. I mean, if you wanted to do take out like ads or something like that, that's a totally different thing. Facebook, you know, no one's there anymore. <laughs> I know, I know. And now, I mean, Facebook has its own, you know, videos and stuff like that. But people, you know, can utilize it as a content creator to get a lot of guidance on what does your market look like right now. If you're going to run an ad, you can really tailor it super niche mm. down to the exact things that you're looking at, which is almost creepy, right? But that's how niche down you can get if you wanted to start an ad on there. So I think for ads, it's still a really good place to run ads. Do you do you plan to do anything in the like audio realm, like a podcast? I mean, everything, it seems like you're very visual. Mm-hmm. You think you'd do something like this, you know, doing interviews and, you know, with professionals and formulating it in a way that might be relevant to parents. Yeah, definitely. I think that's going to be part of the next step of the rebranding process is what's offered there, the types of events that are going to be offered. I also want to lengthen a person's attention span while they're on (laughs) specific platforms. Like if you're on Instagram, I still want to focus on carousels because I think carousels can, you can jam pack so much information in there obviously captions have limits, but if you do post a carousel and what I mean by that for those who are listening, who may not know what a carousel is, it's a, it's basically slides that you just go back and forth between that grid post. So you, you'll have the cover of a grid post and then you can have like, you know, five, six, seven slides within that set, that post you can put all sorts of content in there. You can put phone numbers to places. You can put stats, you can put a story, you can have images, whatever the case may be. But I want people to read more on the platform. I think we're so used to being entertained. 
But at some point, you're going to get bored with all the entertainment. And we need to continue to kind of expand our horizons. And there's still really amazing accounts that do this that are very informational heavy. And I, I read them and I just think to myself, like, this is only four paragraphs, but this is considered long. And so that's my goal. And this is what I mean by experimenting is I am hopeful that we can still read on these platforms and actually consume truly like consume the content in a way that leaves us feeling more informed and maybe connected more because the entertainment stuff, three to six seconds of this, and then go to the caption for this. It just, I don't know. I think it's it's, not sustainable. Yeah. It's not sustainable. Soon enough, we're going to see two second videos and it's like, go to caption or like go to link and you know, we got to, we got to extend this somehow. And so I'm going to roll the dice and try. <laughs> <laughs> well, anything else, any, anything I, I haven't touched on that you want to share? I think we, we probably covered it all. I would just say to anybody that's thinking about, you know, all the different things to post on these platforms is be yourself. I've done a lot of videos that I would consider very performative and I started getting really sick of it. And part of me felt like I was experiencing my own, I can't call it burnout, but my own kind of exhaustion with it. And I started noticing the more I would create original content that actually meant something, the better I felt about it. And also like introduce your quirkiness if you want, you know, don't feel badly because I think people really relate to that when everything is so over edited and, you know, there's 10 million filters on you and you don't look the same whatsoever. It's just not relatable. And, you know, if you are going to get into this like content creator business, just know you have to have a little bit of thick skin because it's not just about vanity metrics, vanity metrics for some just, can drive you nuts and make you fixate just on that. And then you forget about what the sole focus is of your platform. And as long as you focus on that, then you stay true to yourself and what you want to do. And that won't lead you astray, not for any trend, not for any music, for nothing. So that is what I would recommend if you're going to get into this is just make original content, be yourself, inform, relate to people. And that's it. That's great. Shelly, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Fred. Yeah, I appreciate you reaching out. It's, it's been fun. Hopefully that's helpful for people who are listening. Bye, Fred. That was Shelly Kemmerer, a parent, board-certified physician assistant, and founder of Run Tell Mom. Find more information at runtellmom.com. Thank you for joining us for All About Audience, a project of my graduate studies in information design and technology at SUNY Polytechnic in Utica, New York. Find more information about the school at sunypoly.edu. The theme music for this series is Constructivism by Poddington Bear. Learn more about his music at soundofpicture.com. I'm Fred Vigent, host and producer of All About Audience. Thanks for joining us.